pleasure to be with you again this weekend as we're continuing our uh, series on stories of faith out of Hebrews 11. And I hope it's been a blessing uh, for you guys because it's, it's made me a little bit more reflective about my walk with the Lord, God's faithfulness to me, but also God's faithfulness to my family. I hope you enjoyed last week hearing from Pastor Manny and just hearing from the different people as, as they're sharing their different not only what we read in scripture, but also sharing stories from their own personal life and how they've seen God's faithfulness. So what I'm about to share with you guys is one of my favorite stories of faith that comes from my family. Um, In fact, if this story had gone a little bit differently, I would not be here today. And uh, this story involves my my dad, who was uh, 19, he was a little younger back then, but 19 years old in college, And the Lord said, you got to go serve me. So how many of you guys remember the Jesus film? 1979. I know it's back there a little bit. But 1979, there's something called the Jesus film. Okay, all right? And so it's kind of like the 1970s version of The Chosen. Okay? But what they would do is, this is before, like, internet was like a thing. They would take the Jesus film, translate it into all these languages, and they would take it around the world, and they, they would show it, present the gospel in people's native tongue, well, my dad was a kid from Wisconsin who happened to know Swahili, because why not? And my dad goes on this missions trip to Zaire, which is now the Democratic Republic of Congo, and he and this team start showing the Jesus film in, in this place. And it was during the course of this trip that, that all this amazing stuff is happening. They're sharing the film. People are coming to know Christ. But then their team gets separated for various reasons, circumstances. My dad and this other guy go off to this area and the, other, the rest of the team goes off to another village and they're separated my dad and this guy are in the bush like way out in the boonies okay way out there and the roads have been washed out they're not in a good situation it's in this course of the team being separated that my dad contracts malaria and then this other guy that he was with just uh throughout his back incapacitated him like couldn't even was just hunched over couldn't even get up he was down. So they're in the bush, in this village, remote, out in the middle of nowhere. Both of them are in a bad state of affairs. My dad, more so though, my dad starts to decline really fast. Like it's bad. And to the point where my dad remembers being huddled on the floor in the fetal position, hearing these uh, villagers speaking, and they keep using this word that means he's dying, he's dying, he's dying. And then the other villagers are arguing with the people saying that he's dying, saying, what if he understands what you're saying? You should probably shut up right now. And then they say, he's a white guy. He doesn't know what we're saying. Like, so just just say whatever it is, okay? But my dad heard everything they were saying. My dad was preparing to die. He, he He remembers thinking, all right, well, 19, I guess this is it. But then, as these villagers are gathered around my dad, there emerges someone from this crowd, and they have a syringe in the middle of the bush. A syringe. Hypodermic needle. And they come through, and they say, I understand that there are some men that are sick. They show their way to uh, my dad and this other guy. The man proceeds to stick my dad, put half of whatever this thing is, half of it in my dad, and then goes to the other guy with the back problem, sticks it in him, 
Sounds really hygienic, by the way, right? Yeah. I don't think my dad cared at this point. He's like, whatever, just whatever it is. Sticks it in this other guy. And then he leaves. He's gone. Later that evening, my dad and, and this guy saw immediate improvement. My dad's health went back up. He started to get rehydrated. His, his energy came back. And this other guy's back later that evening. He could straighten up. It was an absolute miracle. And there's a whole other part of the story where it was a miracle where my dad was even able to get back into a town because he still had to get some IV and some fluids and more stuff in him and get looked at by, by the doctors. And that was a whole miracle. But uh, my dad and his team, they went back and they tried to find this guy who stuck, stuck him. They could never find him. They asked all the villagers, all the people in the area, have you ever seen this guy before? They said, never seen him before. We don't know who he is. He was gone. You can't tell me in that story that there isn't a God. You can't tell me that there isn't such thing as the angelic realm either, that God sends messengers or people in a moment to help someone out. That is one of my favorite stories in my family. And that's a, fam that's a story that's been passed on from, to me I've told it to my girls, and I'm going to share it with my grandkids someday. And we're encountering a story uh, this morning that is one that's very familiar to us, but it's, it's one of infamy. We know it. And it's Joshua. So in Hebrews 11, verse 30, we're going to be looking at our, our verse there. And then we're going to be looking at Joshua 1, uh, focusing on Joshua 1 and some other uh, verses through uh, chapters 1 through 5. So let's look at our verse got a verse today guys verse it says by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days now this is very interesting because it seems like someone's name is missing from this who is it who are we talking about today what Joshua is not mentioned in this verse now we know it's talking about Joshua but Joshua is not mentioned in this verse. So next week we're going to see this story take an interesting turn because there's another name that's mentioned in place of Joshua. And if you're a Jew in that culture and you hear this name brought up, you're like, wait a second, what's going on here? It's super weird. And we'll talk. So next week, okay? But this week's Joshua and the walls of Jericho being fallen down. So I don't want to make any assumptions again that we all know who Joshua was or we know the biblical story. So let's, let's recap real quick. So who was Joshua? Well, Joshua means, his Hebrew name means Yahweh saves or delivers. In fact, the derivative of where we get uh, Jesus, Yeshua, is Joshua. Yahweh saves or delivers. He has a very prophetic name, an awesome name. So that's Joshua's name. Now, where we first see Joshua pop up is in the story of the Exodus and Moses' uh, exploits and all this awesome stuff that's happening, we see him rise up. You gotta start somewhere, guys. Everyone needs an assistant. Joshua was Moses' assistant, it says, from his youth. So if you go in the book of Exodus, you'll see this. So from Joshua's youth, he was by Moses' side as his assistant. And he starts out as an assistant, but then he quickly rises to a trusted military commander. And he starts on all these excursions and all these trips and conquests, and he builds that rapport among the people of Israel, and it eventually reaches the point where before they enter the land, Moses sends 12 spies to enter the land to scout everything out. Joshua is one of those spies. Now, he and a guy named Caleb, they come back and they say, listen, we've scouted it out. The land's ours. Let's get it. 
It's ours. The Lord's promised us. Let's go in. The ten other spies say, have you seen these people? They're like grasshoppers. They must have big grasshoppers there. They're huge, the people, the Canaanites, all right? They're huge. We can't go in. So the ten spies come back, give this report. The people of Israel are afraid. And they say, hold on a second. I didn't sign up for grasshoppers. I didn't sign up for this. And the people of Israel dig in their heels, and they refuse to enter the land. Even though God said, has told Moses and the leadership, go in, the people of Israel say no. Now Moses later, he also is not allowed to enter the land because he is disobedient, doesn't listen to the Lord. He strikes the the rock twice. He disobeys the Lord. So the people of Israel, along with Moses, that generation, they are not allowed to enter the promised land. They have to die off in the course of 40 years of wandering. So 40 years of wandering, and with Moses having to die in this course of time, obviously there comes to the question of, okay, so who's the next guy? So there's a transition of leadership that's going to take place. Moses dies. Joshua is the leader who emerges from this story. So as we enter the story, I want to ask our, uh, this question. How do we see the faith of Joshua within this passage, within the story of Joshua and the, the walls of Jericho? Well, the first thing we need to look at is this. This is a very important detail. How do we see Joshua's faith is that we see Joshua had faith in God's calling on his life. And I want to reemphasize, it's God's calling. So we had two spies who came back and said, everything's good, we need to go in. It's easy for us to think, well, Joshua's a military commander, he's a natural-born leader, but Caleb's pretty good too, it says in the, in the Word of God. So was uh, Moses like eeny, meeny, miny, moe, is that how he picked between Joshua and Caleb? Well, that's not what it says in Numbers. In fact, Numbers, here's how it says Joshua was chosen. It says, the Lord replied to Moses, take Joshua. Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man who has the spirit in him, and lay your hands on him. Moses did just as the Lord commanded. He took Joshua, had him stand before the priest Eliezer and the entire community, laid his hands on him, and commissioned him as the Lord had spoken through Moses. So I want to point this out again. Who's the one who calls Joshua to this leadership position? The Lord. That's a very important detail. So Moses ultimately doesn't make this decision. It's the Lord who says, Joshua's the guy. He's next up. And you see this really formal, awesome presentation that takes place. The priest comes in, hands are laid on him before the people. You would think someone would be be pretty bolstered up by that and say, okay, I'm ready to go. But what we see in the story of Joshua, something different uh, happens. And there's no wonder to it. Uh, We actually, I believe, start to see some doubts and insecurity arise. Even though there's faith in God's calling, there's some natural doubts and insecurity that arises on Joshua's part. And how do I know that? Well, if you look in Deuteronomy, let's start there. You're going to start to see a pattern emerge. You're going to see this phrase over and over and over again. See if you pick up on it. Moses, uh, the Lord speaking through Moses, then summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, be strong and courageous. Remember that. Be strong and courageous. For you will go with this people into the land the Lord swore to give their ancestors. You will enable them to take possession of it. The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Okay? Well, you think that'd be good enough, but then we get to Joshua 1. 
And we see this three times. Again, it says, Be strong and courageous, the Lord speaking to Joshua, for you will distribute the land I swore to their ancestors to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and just for good measure, very courageous, Joshua, to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, Joshua. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds to me as if the Lord is trying to bolster up Joshua and say, listen, I know I've called you, I know I've commissioned you, but listen, be strong, be courageous, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. And why is that? Why would the Lord need to do this? So, um, I've been at Desert Springs nine years now, so that means I've got a lot of Steve-isms, Pastor Steve-isms, Okay. So, I grew up when I heard someone say, uh, say like, how's it going, folks? Plural. That's how most people say folks. But then I came to Desert Springs, and Pastor Steve says, good morning, folk. Singular. Now, I heard that, and I'm like, well, that's interesting. That's weird. But that's a Steveism. okay? Like, you just pick up on some things. Steve is also the, the leader of our association of churches that we're in. That's actually why he's currently at Palmcroft, uh, helping them through this transition of leadership that they're going through as they look for their next guy. So Steve sees all of these transitions of leadership that are happening. And one thing that Steve has told all of us as a staff that has just been embedded into our brains is this. He says, Trevor, you never want to be the guy who follows the guy. You never want to be the guy who follows the guy. And you know what I'm talking about. The person who made everything that you see, the person who built everything up, the person who, where it's, oh, those were the glory days, man. Like, the guy. Who's the guy for Joshua? Moses is the guy. Moses is the guy. And let's just think about Moses' resume. Moses is the person who has emerged from the ashes and brought the children of Israel out of Egypt through all these crazy plagues that have taken place, right? They get to the Red Sea, the Red Sea parts, okay? Uh, you actually have Moses encountering Yahweh in, in crazy ways. And by the way, where's Joshua in all of this? Is he from a distance watching all this happen? Where is he? Who is he? Moses' assistant. He's seen all of this close up, and he's seeing, wow, Moses is a big deal. This guy knows his stuff. And now God's saying, you're up. You're the guy. And if I'm Joshua, I'm thinking, no. No, thank you. I didn't sign up for that. But he understood God's calling on his life, and because of that, we see him push through and trust in the Lord. So, then we see this. He has faith in what God has said. He has faith in what God has said. And what's, what's something the Lord has told Joshua as he's about to enter this conquest, this mission? 
Well, first he says this. He says, Joshua, the land will be yours. It's yours. It's done. Go and take it. Go and take it. It's yours. Joshua 1, 2 through 4 says, Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving the Israelites. I have given. It's done. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised the Lord, uh, Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great uh, river, the Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites, and west to the Mediterranean Sea. The land is yours. It's done. Do it. Rest in that, what I've said. So Joshua hears this, and he's bolstered by that. And he's like, okay, I trust in what you've said. And not only that, but we're going to see in our, our story this next week, Joshua once again sends spies into the land, and they encounter this place called Jericho, which is where we arrive at our uh, 1130s verse today, the walls of Jericho. Jericho, the Lord says now, not only the land, but Jericho is yours. Now, in case your familiarity with Jericho is a Veggie Tales episode where there's French peas throwing slushies off the side of a wall and you're thinking Jericho's not that bad. Well, let me, let me have you look at this, okay? It's a little different. Um, so, by the way, when we say the story of Joshua, I'm not saying like cute bedtime story. That would be cute. nice if this happened. But this is a historical event we're talking about. So this picture, they've actually, they've actually excavated this. Jericho, they found it, okay? And not only did they find it, we're going to find out, spoiler, later in our story, they said these walls that they've uncovered, there was a violent collapse to these walls, and then on top of this excavation site, there's been, the, there's been some burning and some charring over this entire city that's taken place. Exactly what the biblical text says. So this is real, guys. So ancient Jericho, we see this this. Here's how it was laid out. So we have, we have this ditch right here. Pretty decent-sized ditch, well dug in. And then it builds up to this, these mounds of dirt and, and earth and gravel and stones, a revetment wall, and then it gets to the first, the first wall. And then behind the first wall, we have the rampart. A lot of people think this is where uh, Rahab was along with her family somewhere in this vicinity and if that's not enough you have this sloping rampart that leads up to a higher wall which is the the upper wall right here so this is a this is a city like this is a, a fortress and it says now Jericho was strongly fortified okay we've seen that but what the Lord says is um, look, I have handed you Jericho. It's done. It's king, it's best soldiers. They're all yours. March around. Now, listen. If Joshua is not a prophet, what is he? He goes from assistant to what? Military commander. That's his background. So Joshua hears, land is yours, city is yours. How are we going to do this? I'm coming up with the strategy. I'm coming up with the plan. Now, notice the plan that the Lord unveils to him. He says, March around the city. And if I'm Joshua, I'm thinking, all right, march around the city. Okay, what do we do? March around the city with all the men of war circling the city one time. Okay, then when do the catapults come in? No. March around the city, have seven priests carry seven ram's horns, trumpets in front of the ark, symbolizing the presence of the Lord. 
You do that six times, you do that six times, six days in a row, okay? One time, one day, next day, same thing, one time, one time, one time, one time. All right, seventh day, I'm Joshua, I'm thinking, seventh day, here we go. What do we do seventh day? You're going to march around the city seven times, all right? And then when you surround the city the seventh time, you're going to do a blast from your horns, everyone's going to give a shout, then the walls will collapse, now, if I'm Joshua, the military commander, I'm thinking, I would have never drawn this up this way, Lord. I would have, no. So we have a two-star general that goes to our church. If I called up Denny right now, I'm like, hey, Denny, um, how would you uh, take out this city? I, he would never say this. He'd be like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, right? Like, you just don't do that. But this is what the Lord commands Joshua to do. So he has Joshua do this in a very unfamiliar way that puts himself out there so Joshua along with the people of Israel they obey they circle the city they do it six days once time around and then seventh day seven times around trumpets shouting walls collapse they rush in and they take the city we have our story and it's an awesome story and it's one that we look at and we're like cool awesome but what does that mean for us? So I want to close out our time and ask ourselves this question as we're applying the story of Joshua to our lives. So it's very clear from the story of Joshua that we have this idea of calling. What has God called Joshua to do? He's called him to be the leader of Israel and to lead his people, and he's told him to go take the land and go take Jericho. A very clear calling. Sometimes as Christians, we, kinda, we, can, we can say spiritual things and be like, How's God calling you? And it can be kind of confusing for us sometimes. We're like, well, I don't know what God's calling me to. But I do know this. When we read Scripture, God does call us to do things. And I want to ask you, are you resting in God's calling on your life? So what has God called you to do first? And this is for every Christian. This is for every believer if you place your faith in Jesus. The first thing that God has called you to do is to be a disciple. Your first calling in life is to be a disciple. You're to follow the Lord. You're to stay close to him. John 15, it says, abide in me, stay close to me, and you will bear much fruit. In other words, when you stay close to Jesus, when you spend time with him, you will begin to grow. You will begin to change. Transformation happens from the inside out. And it's awesome to see that in our lives. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. You've experienced this. So we're called, you, to all of us, be disciples, follow Jesus. That's our calling. And we're more familiar with that one. But then we get to the second part of this, which is to not only be a disciple, but we're called to make disciples. We're called to make disciples. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. That means you're putting yourself out there a little bit more. You're saying, hey, follow me because I'm following Jesus. You're supposed to take someone under your wing and teach them the ways of the Lord. Maybe you're doing that with with your family. Maybe you're doing that with someone in your life right now. I hope that you are. But I think, I've encountered many Christians, this is one that they're very intimidated by. And for a couple reasons. One, I think a lot of Christians think, I'm not qualified to do this. I'm not qualified to do this because I'm still struggling with some stuff. I'm not qualified to do this because um, I'm not as good as that person over there. Let me ask you, 
Who called you to do it? Who called you? The Lord called you to do it. Do you think Joshua felt qualified? Do you think Joshua felt like he was the person who could fill in Moses' shoes? We've, listen, we've been called to represent who? Who? Jesus, you want to talk about big shoes or sandals, whatever you want to call it? Big, that's us. Do I feel qualified for that? No. But has he called me to it? Yes. And when he calls me to something, he delivers. And I think we, we again, we compare ourselves with people. I think it'd be easy for Joshua to compare himself to Moses and say, well, I'm not a good, as good a leader as Moses. You might be saying, I'm not as good a person as this person or that person, maybe this person on staff, or that's a, that's, I'll leave that to the professional. I'm not talking about anyone else. I'm talking about you, the real you, everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. God's called you, and he sees all that, and he still calls you if you've trusted in him. And you know what? You need to rest in that calling. And you need to obey that calling to do that. And just like Joshua, sometimes when God calls us to do these things, he calls us to, do, he calls us to walk by faith, meaning there's going to be some things that God calls us to do that don't make sense. God calls you to do something, you might feel like a creep sometimes. Like, I can't do that. I'll get run out of town. Or what, if, what will my neighbors think? Whatever the case is, God will put us in some very uncomfortable territory many times, many times in my life. Some of the most uncomfortable things in my life has been when God says, hey, go do that. And I'm like, "Mm mm-mm, no. And Joshua the same way. Joshua, the military commander who's commanded to walk around the city and then blast trumpets and yell, weird. And yet God follows through and delivers. And so many times that's what needs to happen for us as Christians. And then finally, we've got to look at this. What has God said to you that you need to believe? What has God said to you that you need to believe? Something that he said, this is true, this is a reality, so live like it. Just like the Lord told Joshua, Joshua, the land is yours. It's done. Go take it. You still have to go take it, but it's done. Just step forward and do it. I encounter so many believers in Jesus. I'm amazed. There's, I just see this, best way to describe it, it's this double-mindedness. Meaning, okay, I've trusted, in, I've trusted in Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all of those things. Um, I'm adopted into his family, but I really messed up bad today, so I guess I'm not today. And I see, these, I see Christians like waffling back and forth in the reality of who they actually are. Now listen, if you have trusted in Jesus, you need to understand something this morning. You are a child of God. You've been adopted into his family. He's called you into his family. That's irrevocable. And he knows what he's getting into. He knew what he was getting into when he adopted you. He died on the cross for your sins. He sees all of you, and he says, you're part of my family, and I'll take you. Past, present, future, all of you. And so many of us as Christians, we go back and forth, and we're like, ah, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm a child of God. Listen, just like Joshua, 
You need to rest in what God has said. You need to rest this morning in the reality of who you are. You are clean. You are forgiven. I don't care what it is you've done. I don't care what it is you've done. You've been forgiven. I don't care what it is you will do because it's been forgiven. Now we see in 1 John, we need to confess our sins. He's faithful and just, but that's relational closeness with our Father. But you're in God's family and you need to live like it. Live like it, like you're part of his family. Trust in that. Now the last one, it's a little bit different, but I do think Joshua is called to a mission. Um, Joshua was called to, it was a dream, right? Something that was there for them to take. I'm a, I'm a dreamer. And I don't, I don't mean like I lie down and have really weird dreams after I have like Filibertos or anything like that. I'm talking like I think about what could be. I think about what would, what would happen in our world or in our church if this wasn't here or if we did this. Some of you guys are wired the exact same way. And when I say a, a dream, I'm not talking about your dream. I'm talking about a God dream. This is something that's bigger than you. This is something God has called you to do, a mission that God has called you to do. And I meet a lot of Christians, too, who have said, I'm going to put that aside. I don't, I don't think I can do that, that dream or that mission or that vision. And I'm going to ask you this again. If it's a God dream, if it's a God mission, who's called you to do it? It's the Lord. He's called you to it. So if he said it, he's going to deliver it. Now, it might not be in your time. It might, it might not be the way you would chalk it up, just like Joshua, but he's called you to it. And you need to step out just like Joshua and obey. So I actually had a, I had quite a turn in my life um, probably about, I don't know, maybe nine months ago. Um, for those of you that know me, I've, I've been doing youth ministry um, nine years at this church, but then two years at other places, and then interning, and I've been, doing, I've been doing youth ministry about half of my life. And if God called me to be a youth pastor till I was 80 or 90 years old or until the rapture happened, I would do it because that's how much I love youth ministry, and I believe in youth ministry. But about nine months ago, God called my wife and I to something pretty dramatic, and that was a change in ministry. And that's where we're in this new position now where I've now been tasked and commissioned by Steve, and I believe the Lord, to lead our connect groups. And also, Steve said this. He says, Trevor, I want you to lead uh, and reach young families. And I said, what's a young family? He said, I don't know. You go figure that out, okay? So basically what I've surmised is if I don't care how old you are, but if you have kids from zero to like 12 or older, I don't know. Like you're a young family. I don't care if you're a grandparent and you're raising, like you're a young family. So congratulations, all right? So I have this dream. And here's the thing. Connect groups, connect groups are so vital to this church. We're a larger church. 
and we sit in rows, we sit in places. I mean, I've been up here enough to know, like, I know where people are. Yep, I see you over there. Yep, like, we're in our places, and we're comfortable, and that's good. But sometimes we can, it's amazing sometimes how we show up and we don't know people around us, like really know people around us. And that's the point of connect groups, is for us to get to know people. Now, that 23rd meeting that you're looking at, that isn't, that isn't to join a connect group. Listen, I'd like to say there was 50 connect groups for us to offer to you guys, but that would mean I need to have 50 people willing to lead them. So what I'm asking you this morning is to consider coming to this meeting on the 23rd because I'd like you to consider being a connect group leader or hosting one at your house or whatever works out for you. And you might, not, you might be freaked out. You might feel uh, unqualified. You might be like, I don't know anything about that. Well, that's why you come to the info meeting and you find out. You might even get a breakfast burrito out of it. Okay? But I truly believe in this. And then there's the second part of this, to this, this task or commission that Steve's um, asked my wife and I to do. And that's for young families and for, for uh, young married marriages especially. Listen, we've struggled with our connect groups to reach young families and get, and get couples, younger couples, connecting with each other. Uh, a lot of it has to do with childcare because when you meet at someone's house and there's kids running around and, there's, and it's an unfamiliar house and they're in places where you're like, I don't know what they're doing, what things they're breaking, who they're killing, those types of things. Um, it's stressful. So what we're going to do, we're going to plant a flag in the sand and we're going to say if you're a young family and if you want to invest in your marriage, we are doing something starting in August, Sunday afternoons from 4 to 5.30 p.m. in the afternoon. Um, we want to provide a place for young families, for marriages, where you can invest. And it can be a place where you can drop your kids off. Now, when I say drop your kids off, I don't mean like uh, pray that they survive and have like two people watching them. I'm saying like we have people on our staff that are actually going to be um, investing in your kids. They're going to be discipling your kids. This is going to be something different than what you're experiencing uh, Saturdays or Sunday mornings right now. We got our, our young interns right now running it, and they got some help from some other adult volunteers. Super excited about it. But listen, I'm calling you if you're a young family, if you're wanting to invest in marriages, if you're wanting to be a part of that, I want you to be a part of this. August, uh, Sunday afternoons, be stay, stay tuned for that, 4 to 5.30. Um, as we close, ultimately, what I want to remind us of for you, for that mission, that God dream that God's called you to, what's ultimately at stake? And I truly, the more and more I'm around and um, in ministry, the more I truly believe that one of the most disbelieved verses in the entire Bible is this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against supernatural forces, darkness. That is one of the most disbelieved verses in the entire Bible because if we really understood that daily people's souls are being warred over, that there's a spiritual battle taking place, it would take away this physical, if we could just put on those glasses for a second and see what's actually happening around us, we would say, wow, there's a battle and I need to get in it. I need, there's no more standing on the sidelines. I need to get involved. And for me, that moment came, actually, you just saw Daniel and Katie talking about the Western Sky After School program. Um, that moment came for me 
about eight years ago watching a bunch of middle school students walking down our road thinking, we need to reach these middle school students. And God brought me a team where he told me, Trevor, you need to reach those middle school students. And I'm thinking, I am a homeschooled kid from Sholo who's never set foot on a public school. You called me to do what? What? But God brought me a team of people. God brought me a place where we set up a snack. I won't call it a stand, a shack, shanty, on the side of the road, and we breadcrumbed our trail, breadcrumbed our way into the gym. And now we have all of these kids showing up, and it's amazing. But in the course of this, uh, programs are great, but it's about people. It's about people. I don't care how big a program is. You could have the biggest program ever, but if you're not reaching people, it's a waste of time. In the course of this program, I met this kid named Ryder. Ryder was an eighth grade kid. Ryder was a difficult kid. He had a lot of problems at home. He had a lot of problems at school. And I saw that there was something inside of him where this kid just wanted to be loved. And so I talked with Ryder. And it was actually one day, Sean Jones came down. He shared the gospel. I built a relationship with Ryder. Ryder actually placed his faith in Jesus Christ, which was amazing. And you guys heard five kids came to know Christ this last year. But here's where it gets real. It was years later after this, it was just a couple years ago, that I got the news that Ryder had suddenly passed away. Ryder was gone. And it made me realize, what if? What if I didn't obey? What if me and this, what if God, you didn't bring these people, you, I hadn't called some of these people, like it was just so many what ifs and it was just this realization of God, when I obey, when we obey, people's lives are really changed. People's eternities are changed. This stuff is real. And so for you, I don't know what that dream or whatever that mission is, that God dream, but I know this, is that it's important and God has called you to it. He's commissioned you for it. And you might feel inadequate. You might not feel like you're deserving of it. But I'm not talking about that. I'm saying consider who's called you. And consider the one who goes before you. Consider, just like Joshua, to be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's the one who goes before you. And I'm convinced, Desert Springs, that when we have the Lord go before him, us, and that when we walk in obedience, when we walk by faith, can you imagine what this community, can you just imagine what this West Valley would look like when we connect with others, when we live on mission, when we engage with God? Some of us can't think like that, but man, I can see that. But we need to do that. So I'm calling us this morning to do that, if you're with me. And I'd love to see you this next Saturday up in the youth room, 9 o'clock, see what it looks like to be a connect group leader. I'd love to see you join our young families ministry Sunday nights, Sunday afternoons at the church. And let's see what God does. And when you go out and live your life, I can't wait to see how God literally breaks down walls, breaks down things in front of you when you see God work, when you walk by faith. Mm -hmm.